Unprepared to engage Mormon missionaries when they knock on your door? Perhaps the book Mormonism 101 will help. Mormonism 101, published by Baker Book. Available at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We've been looking at a talk that was given by Tad Callister of the Presidency of the Seventy. It was given on January 12, 2014 at Brigham Young University titled, What is the Blueprint of Christ's Church? We haven't gotten very far into this talk. It's a rather lengthy devotional that he gave to a group of young people. But there's a lot of meat in here and a lot of things that really need to be understood if we're going to clearly understand our Mormon neighbors and the church of which they belong. So today, let's continue our examination into what Callister says. Yesterday, Bill, we were talking about the two points of the 17 points of the true church that he utilized. Actually, in this talk, he'll utilize 16 of the 17 points. And if you go to our website, mrm.org slash blueprint church, there's a hyphen between blueprint and church. There is a link to the 17 points of the true church put together 60, 70, 80 years ago, I'm not sure how long ago that was. Nobody knows who the author was. But as we go through this, we're going to see a lot of similarities between the 17 points and Callister's talk. And the article that you're referring to is not only the list of the 17 points, but our response to it. Yes, and so everything is in there as we respond in a systematic fashion. Let me keep reading. It says this. If one desired to discover Christ's church today, he would want to match the spiritual blueprint found in the New Testament against every Christian church in the world until he discovered a church that matched the blueprint, organization for organization, teaching for teaching, ordinance for ordinance, fruit for fruit, and revelation for revelation. In doing so, he might find some churches that had some similarities, a teaching or two that overlap, an ordinance that is the same, some offices that bear common names, but he will only find one church the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that matches the blueprint in every material respect. Now, I would like to put that assertion to the test. Let us turn to the first page of the blueprint and discover what was the organization of Christ's church as revealed therein. So, he's already given us numbers 1 and 5. Now he's going to give us the third point of the 17 points of the true church, which is the true church must have a foundation of apostles and prophets. And that's from Ephesians chapter 2. So this is what Callister says. First, Christ's church was founded on apostles and prophets. When Paul was writing to some new members of the church, he said that they were now built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And he cites from Ephesians 2.20 there. With that idea of Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to notice a couple of things. First off, it's built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets that Paul actually was part of that, but it was Jesus who was the chief cornerstone. This is something that took place in the past. That's the whole point I think that is missed. They're looking at it as it's continually being built, but it's already been built. Of course, 
the apostles and the prophets had something to do with that. It's not really trying to get across the thought that we always have to have continually this order of apostles and prophets. That's an assumption that the Mormon church makes, but that's certainly not something that we see in the New Testament. Let me give you a couple of verses to help support what we're trying to say here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, and this is what Paul wrote here. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. There's that aspect of the church being the collective group of people. Verse 10 says, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, so here Paul is talking about himself as being the wise master builder. He's the one who laid and built on the foundation, which is Jesus. And so we have this idea of the apostles and the prophets of that day. But there's no insinuation made that there would always have to be apostles and prophets to be able to build on Christ's church. He goes on in the next paragraph to say the apostles understood the imperative need to keep the quorum of the twelve apostles intact. When one apostle, such as Judas, died and a portion of the foundation was chipped away, and he has chipped away in quotation marks, the other eleven apostles gathered together and chose a successor so that the foundation would be whole again. And he cites Acts 1, to 25 What would be the problem that we'd have with this? When he talks about there would always need to be a quorum of the 12 apostles, we don't even find that pattern in the New Testament. No, I mean, imagine after we have Judas who died and they had to determine who was going to be the new apostle, they ended up praying and then they used lots to determine who that would be. But that's the only time we see a replacement made. We see other apostles dying early on. In fact, James dies in AD 44 and we see nobody that comes along and takes his place. I think that's a problem, Bill, because if there were supposed to be 12 apostles in the same way that the LDS church operates today, were those early apostles in sin because they were not making the proper replacements? And also we find that even in Mormonism, they don't really have 12 apostles. They have 15. How come that isn't brought out? Why doesn't Callister make mention that in Mormonism, they have, yes, a group of men, they call the Quorum of the Twelve, but technically, according to Mormonism, the First Presidency, the men who make up the First Presidency, are also considered apostles. So that would be 15 apostles. So why are they making a big deal out of the Twelve? That's a really good point. And this is actually on LDS.org, and we have a link to that on our page. And this is what it says with First Presidency. It's under the direction of Jesus Christ. The church is led by 15 apostles who are also regarded as prophets, seers, and revelators. And so not only do they have 15 apostles, but they have at least 15 prophets. But we also have mention of other people in the New Testament that were given the title of apostles. What do we do with all of those as well? I mean, let let me give you just uh, the list that we came up with. Uh, Barnabas in Acts chapter 14, verse 14, was called an apostle. Paul was called an apostle. He called himself that in Romans 11, 13. 
uh, let me stop you about with Paul, because we also find in the New Testament that Paul was doing the work of an apostle, what, about 14 years before he even met with any of the other apostles. Right. Now, here he is doing the work of an apostle, considering himself an apostle. How come he doesn't go through the formalities that the Mormon church has in order to be a bona fide apostle? You see, they're not following the New Testament pattern here. He's a self-proclaimed apostle, if you want to say it that way. Well, if the LDS Church is going to follow that kind of direction, then I guess there could be a lot of people of the 15 million membership who could come around and say, I'm an apostle too, and why shouldn't they be? Well, what do you do with Andronicus, mentioned by Paul? There's others that are called apostles. James, Galatians 1.19, Silvanus, 1 Thessalonians 1, and Timothy. So here's a list of at least seven or eight different people who also were called apostles. Now, they were not the disciples that Jesus had. He had 12, of course. But the Mormon church isn't following exactly the standard what the New Testament had. They only had 12 in the New Testament, and yet the Mormon church has 15. Well, not only that, according to the Book of Mormon, we're given the impression that there were also 12 chosen in the Western Hemisphere. So that would mean at least 24, according to the Book of Mormon, if you're going to include the 12 that were on the Eastern Hemisphere. The Mormon church doesn't do that any longer. They don't have 12 for the Eastern Hemisphere and 12 for the Western Hemisphere. So obviously there's a disconnect there, if you're going to try to make the case, as Callister is trying to make, that the pattern found in the Mormon church is a biblical pattern, I think Tad Callister fails to make that point. What he is doing is he's, as we've mentioned, he's got a skeleton and he's going to put flesh on this skeleton. And according to him, the flesh he's going to give this skeleton is what he desires to give because it follows the pattern of the church he belongs to. That's not too impressive. That doesn't impress me, and it shouldn't impress any of us as Christians. Now, he goes on, and he puts a doubt into anything that we have today as far as what our Bible says, because these apostles, they're no longer here to be able to check out what was being taught. And so listen to what he says. He's going to use the telephone game, and he's going to place doubt on our Bible when he says this. Suppose for a moment I were to tell a story to someone on one end of the row in front of me, and then he were to share it with the person next to him, and so on, until it were to work its way down the rows to the end of the section. What would happen to that story? It would change. It always changes. That is human nature. So it was with the doctrine taught by the apostles as they went out to the various towns and villages. As the doctrine went from one person to another, it started to change. As long as the apostles were available, they could correct the doctrine by way of epistles or personal sermons. But when the apostles were gone, there was no longer any check and balance system, no longer any correcting hand, and soon the doctrines became distorted or lost. I think it's self-refuting, though, when he says that they could correct the doctrine by way of epistles or personal sermons. Didn't they do that? I mean, if we read the epistles in the New Testament, what are a lot of them doing? Correcting misunderstandings in the church. But then I think what he's referring to here is the great apostasy. So whenever that was, second century, you no longer have these men who are looking it over. All of a sudden, you're going to get all these new doctrines in there. But Bill, that's a bad illustration because the game of telephone only goes in one direction. And by the end of this party game, you're supposed to repeat what the first person said through eight or nine or ten people, and it becomes convoluted and everybody laughs at it. 
But there's a lot more at stake when it comes to textual criticism because they can not only can go forward, but they can go backward. And we can check out our sources. And we have lots of sources about the Bible. We have over 5,000 Greek manuscripts. We have over 24,000 total manuscripts. We have for the Old Testament the Dead Sea Scrolls, which help determine that the Old Testament we had from the 10th century was actually very accurate with what the Dead Sea Scrolls had. So we have a lot of ways, and we have the desire to want to fix things, whereas the game of telephone doesn't. Yeah, I I think also, too, we can reconstruct just about the entire New Testament just by the writings of the early church fathers because of their citations of what Paul wrote in his epistles and what was in the Gospels. So we can go back and we can reconstruct all this. I think Tad Callister is playing really fast and loose, not only with history, church history, but also playing fast and loose with what we find in the New Testament. So it's easy for him to try to make the case that the Mormon church is the only true church because he's basically making the rules. He's making it up as he goes along. He's trying to make it sound like he's following a a distinct pattern, but he's really not. The Mormon church does not really follow the New Testament pattern in its entirety as he's trying to imply. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. When sharing your faith with a Latter-day Saint, it helps to know what their church has taught on several basic topics. For this reason, Mormonism Research Ministry has provided its Crash Course Mormonism. Crash Course Mormonism includes concise articles highlighting what LDS leaders and church manuals have taught on issues that will probably come up in a typical conversation. You can find these informative articles at CrashCourseMormonism.com. That's CrashCourseMormonism.com.